Okay, uh, welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Uh, what we have in store for tonight is uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6 of the book of Exodus. We entitle it Opposition, and you will figure out why as we go through our studies this evening. Afterwards, we're going to dip into our email and look at some of the questions that we're going to address. Is that okay? Just really briefly. But before we do anything, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, merciful God, Yahuwah, yes. we gather once again before your holy presence. Yes. Thank you so much for giving us life and strength. Yes. The opportunity to study your holy words always blesses our souls. Yes. And so we thank you and we are infinitely grateful to you. Amen. Father, please open our minds and our hearts. Yes. Bless us, please, with the power of your spirit yes. that we will be able to go on in the fulfillment of our vows to you. Amen. Our Lord Yahusha, we also pray to you at this time. Yes, May you please pray for all of us here yes. that we will receive the power of God's Spirit yes. that will enlighten us and give us the courage to follow the will of our God. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen. Okay, all right. Thank you so much for attending our Bible study tonight. Praises be to our loving Yahuwah Abba for gathering his people together this evening to study again his holy words. Now, we left off last week in Exodus chapter 4 with success. God revealed to Moses his plans, and he said, go speak to the elders of Israel and show them the signs. That's what Moses did. So far, so good. The people of Israel accepted Moses and Aaron, and they believed that Yahuwah God indeed spoke to them to deliver his people Israel. So the plan is humming along just fine. And so the next thing, the next part of the plan after speaking to the elders of Israel is to speak to who? To Pharaoh, to somehow convince the king of Egypt to let the people of Israel Go. I wonder if he is in agreement to this plan. Let's find out in the book of Exodus 5, 1 to 2. You can probably see the reason why the title of the lesson is Opposition, right? I don't think he will accept that proposition at all. Exodus 5, 1 to 2. This is what uh, the Bible says. And afterwards, Musha and Aharon went in and said to Pharaoh, thus said Yahuwah Elohim of Yisrael, let my people go so that they keep a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is Yahuwah that I should obey his voice to let Yisrael go? I do not know Yahuwah, nor am I going to let Yisrael go. And so when Moses confronts the Pharaoh, and says to him, let my people go. They have to go to the mountain in the wilderness to offer a sacrifice to Yahuwah God. What was the response of the Pharaoh? The Pharaoh said, who is Yahuwah? I do not know Yahuwah. And so the name Yahuwah, at this point, it did not ring a bell. And so we can see here that God was not known among the people of the world. During our time today, when we cry out, when we proclaim, Yahuwah is my God, how many people know who Yahuwah is? Not many, right? It's like during the days of Moses. We have to proclaim it. We have to make it known. And this is also part of our ministry, to make known 
that the name of the Father is Yahuwah. We don't want, when people think about God, to say, well, who is God? For example, if people ask you, well, who is your God? What are you going to say? What is his name? Now we have an answer. His name is Yahuwah. The Pharaoh did not recognize this God. He did not know Yahuwah at all. So Yahuwah's name did not get glory. And so according to the Holy Scriptures, what did Moses say to him? Exodus 5 verse 3, And they said, The Elohim of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three uh, Yomim journey into the wilderness and slaughter to Yahuwah our Elohim, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. And so here's Moses speaking to the Pharaoh, telling him we have to go on a three-day journey to this mountain in order to sacrifice to Elohim, to, to their God as part of their festival, as part of their worship, and then come back to, uh, to Egypt. And so that would probably take seven days, right? Three days to go to the mountain, one day for worship, three days to come back. And so he said to, to Pharaoh, if we will not do this, then God will, follow, will punish us with pestilence and with sword. And so Moses was telling the Pharaoh, look, this is a matter of life and death. This is very important to our God that we must go there to worship him. And so here's Pharaoh listening to Moses. What do you think he says to Moses after hearing from him, maybe a tone of desperation, Pharaoh, we have to go because if you won't let us go, well, God that we worship he has the power to destroy us and to destroy you as well. And so what was the response of Pharaoh? Let's read Exodus 5, 4 to 8. But the king of Mitzrayim said to them, Musha and Aharon, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, see, the people of the land are many now, and you make them cease from their burdens. And the same Yom, Pharaoh commanded the slave drivers of the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves and lay on them the required amount of bricks which they made before. Do not diminish it, for they are idle. That is why they cry out, saying, Let us go and slaughter to our Allahim. And so after giving the explanation to Pharaoh, concerning the reason why they have to go to the mountain to worship the living God. What did the Pharaoh say to Moses and Aaron? He said, why do you take my people away from their work? You see, for Pharaoh, how does he see the people of Israel? They are considered his source of cheap labor, right? And so his concern is, of course, the building of his empire or his kingdom. And so he wants the people of Israel not to miss the opportunity for work. They have to make bricks. They have to fulfill their duties. And because he was upset, because according to the Pharaoh, the reason why these people of Israel even begin to think about going to a mountain to worship God it's because they have too much time in their hands. And so what does the Pharaoh decide to do? Well, because you have too much time in your hands, this is what I'm going to do. Instead of the people of Egypt providing the straw, when you make the brick, you have to get your own straw. Now, if they have to get their own straw, that takes some time, right? 
And so it, it is less time for them to make the brick. But according to the Pharaoh, you still have to make your quota, the same quota of bricks that you have to produce. And so what happened here was he increased the burden of the people of Israel. They, he increased the type of work that they are to do. Now, we are not surprised that the Pharaoh reacted like this, because after all, what Moses and Aaron was doing was whose work? The work of God, right? Who do you think is going to oppose the work of God? Who is the chief adversary? The devil. The devil is orchestrating everything to make sure the plan and the work of God is thwarted or opposed. And so this is what he will do. He's behind the scenes when it comes to the opposing of the work of our almighty God. So we can see here how the devil, the adversary, oppose God's work. Next slide, please. How does the adversary proposes or opposes our work? Because we're doing work too during this time, right? As the very small remnant of God's people, we're also doing the work of God. And so in the same way, uh, Moses and his work were, was opposed by the enemy. We too will be opposed. Back then, what did the devil do? He influenced the Pharaoh to add burdens, which makes sense, right? Because if you are burdened with a lot of problems, you are less inclined to be focused in the work that God has given you. Isn't that true? This is why do not be surprised that we sometimes will be given additional burdens in our life because the devil wants to destroy our work with God. What else does the devil do? The adversary or the enemy? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 5, verse 9. Let more work be laid on the men so that they labor in it and not pay attention to words of falsehood. And so what else is the work of the enemy or the adversary? It is to slander or to accuse the work of God's people as the work of falsehood. And so the message carried by Moses and Aaron, according to the Pharaoh, that is falsehood. This is the work of the devil. Isn't this also alive and well during our time? Especially now when we're preaching about the name of the Father, Yahuwah, we can see that people are accusing us of falsehood, slander. This happened before. It's also happening today. Next slide, please. So the adversary opposes our work, number one, by adding burdens, number two, by slander, accusation of false teachings. How else does the enemy work? Let's read Exodus 5, 10 down to 12. And the slave drivers of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus said Pharaoh, I do not give you straw. Go, take straw for yourselves, wherever you find it, for your work shall not be diminished. And the people were scattered in all the land of Mitzrim to gather stubble for straw. And so because they have to look for their own straw, what happened to the people of Israel? They went all over the place looking for straw. And so they were scattered. This is the work of the devil, to scatter and to divide, preventing them from uniting to do the work of God. Isn't this what the devil also does today, right? Especially amongst us. This is why 
We should be aware of how the devil tries to do that in our work today. For example, he can plant the seed of division, maybe somewhere in the internet or in social media. And so we need to be aware of the work of the enemy. Next slide. And so three things he does. He has burdens. He uses slander. He scatters and divides the people of God. What else? Exodus 5, 13 down to 16. And the slave drivers were, were hurrying them on, saying, Complete your work, your daily amount. As when there was straw, also the foremen of the children of Yisrael, whom... Uh, Pharaoh's slave drivers had said over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your task in making bricks both yesterday and today as before? And the foreman of the children of Yisrael came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why do you treat your servants this way? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make bricks? And see, your servants are beaten, but your own people are at fault. And so the people of Israel they could not keep up with the quota, and understandably so, because this time, even though they have the same quota, they have to use additional time to look for straw. And so yesterday, today, they are unable to meet the quota. And what happened to them? Because they were unable to meet the quota. They were beaten. What do you call that? When you use, misuse, and abuse your people. This is called oppression. Right? This is when the leaders, they do not care about the welfare of the people. And so whatever they want from them, they will get. Give me more and more offering. Give me more and more tithes. Give me more and more donations. Right? Even though they're already very poor. It also happened before. Remember, the devil is the one influencing the people who are in leadership and authority Positions And so the people, the leaders of Israel, they go to Pharaoh and they want reprieve. They want relief. What does Pharaoh say? Exodus 5, 17, six, uh, 17, uh, 17 to 18. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and slaughter to Yahuwah. So now go work and straw is not given to you, but deliver the amount of bricks. And so you, there's no compassion. There is no mercy. And so when leaders, even religious leaders who show no compassion and mercy upon the people that they lead, it's not the work of God, it's the work of the enemy. The oppression, whenever the people are oppressed, whenever the people are ruled over, that's not the work of God, that's the work of the enemy. Next slide, please. So, so far we have four Four ways by which the adversary influences a Pharaoh and Egypt to oppose the work of God. Added burdens, slander, scatter and divide, and oppression. What else? Let's read Exodus 5, 19 to 20. And the foremen of the children of Hisharal saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you are not to diminish your daily amount of bricks. And when they came out from Pharaoh... Guess who was there waiting for the outcome? <laughs> they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. Of course, Moses and Aaron, they were very interested in the outcome because what they want is to convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go to the mountain to worship our God, right? And so he was very interested. What would Pharaoh say to the foreman? 
And so when they came out, and they came out to meet uh, Moses and Aaron, what did they say to Moses and Aaron? Exodus 5.21, and they said to them, Let Yahuwah look on you and judge, because you have made us loathsome in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to give a sword in their hand to kill us. And so you can see here the people of Israel, they're beginning to blame who now? Moses. Moses. They're beginning to blame Moses and Aaron, the leaders of God's people. Again, this is the work of the enemy. When the people of God begin to blame the servant of God or blame someone else, that is the work of the adversary. Next slide. And so what we have here, right? The adversary opposed the work using the Pharaoh as his instrument because the Pharaoh added burdens, used slander, caused them to scatter and divide. He oppressed the people, which led to the people of God blaming the servant, the leader of God's nation, for their predicament. And so when we experience this, do not be surprised. Sometimes, even though we know God's plan, God's work, always keep this in mind. When we do the work of God, which is what we're doing now, always keep in mind, we will be opposed. Why? Because the devil will not stand idly by. He will do something to destroy the work of God. This is why you can tell if the work that we're doing is the work of God. If it's the work of God, you're going to attract a lot of opposition, right? You're going to be opposed because the devil does not want you to succeed. When we are being opposed and we are being persecuted, what then should we do? We need to remember this. What is that? Next slide. The work we're doing is not ours. Whose work is that? It's the work of God. And there's something we need to understand when we do the work of God. You see, we're going to be opposed, yes, but this is God's work. Next slide. So when we work with God, what can we do? What can we expect? Well, what did Moses do? Because he knows this is not his work, right? He didn't want to go after all. God kind of had to convince him. And so he knows this is not his work. This is God's work. He knows that. So he's feeling the pressure. Things went from bad to worse, right? Can you imagine the people you're trying to lead? They're blaming you now because they have all these burdens and they're being beaten and oppressed by Pharaoh. So they're blaming you. And so what do you do when this happens, when things go from bad to worse really fast? Because sometimes this is what's going to happen, especially when we do our work together. And so what did Moses do? Because he knows this is God's work. Let's go to Exodus now, 5, 22 to 23. And Musha returned to Yahuwah and said, Yahuwah, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Can you feel the pain, the heart of Moses? You can probably sense, maybe he's kind of complaining here, right? That's true, too. He, he, seems, he is complaining, right? But you can tell it's from his heart because he's exasperated. He's frustrated. He never wanted to do the work, right? God said, I'm going to be with you. But he is exasperated. And so he goes to God and he pours out his heart to God. Brothers and sisters, you know, when things don't go well in our life, 
We should do what Moses did. He went or returned to Yahuwah, and he poured out his heart to God. And we don't want you to disrespect the Father, but do pour out your heart to God. If you feel pain, let him know. If you feel frustrated, let him know. Yet with deep reverence for our almighty Father. This is what it's written in the book of Psalms, 46, 1 to 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Always keep in mind, whenever we feel overwhelmed by opposition or whatever problem you may be facing, Turn to God. Make Him your refuge and strength by pouring out your heart to Him, expecting that He will help us. So one, the first thing we need to remember when we are working with God, because God invited us to do His work, number one, make God your refuge. What else did Moses do? Well, after he poured out his heart to God, what did God do? What did God say to Moses? Let's read Exodus 6, 1 down to 3. And Yahuwah said to Musha, Now see what I do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he's going to let them go. And with a strong hand, he's going to drive them out of his, out of his land. And Elohim spoke to Musha and said to him, I am Yahuwah. And I appeared to Abraham, to Yitzhak, and to Yakub as Al Shaddai. And by my name, Yahuwah, was I not known to them. And so what does God say to Moses to kind of pacify him? Because he knows he's struggling right now, right? What does God say? God said to him, don't worry. Now I'm going to send a strong wind, a strong hand, and he's, gonna, he's going to let them go. However, what also did God do? He called his attention to his name. He said, I am Yahuwah. Was I not known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by that name, Yahuwah? The answer is yes. Why is God reminding Moses about his name? Because his name, it shows or indicates the character of God. Do you still remember what Yahuwah means? I am who? I am. And you have to keep in mind, it's a dynamic name. Because it's a name concerning God. I am who I am, meaning I am who he needs to be to help us. This is why if you look at his name in the next slide, God can be anything he needs to be to deliver his people. Sometimes he says, I am he who is your deliverer. Sometimes he says, I am he who is your healer. Sometimes he says to us, I am he who is your mother. Sometimes he says, I am he who is your answer to all your problems. I am he who is your strength. I am he who is your friend. You see, that's why it's a wonderful name. I am who I am. God is telling us it doesn't matter what you're facing. Because God being Yahuwah can be what he needs to be so that we will be saved and delivered by the Father. And so God says to Moses, don't you know I'm Yahuwah? I gave you the meaning of my name. I am El Shaddai, the Almighty One, and I can be whatever I need to be to help you. In this case, I can be your deliverer. And that is exactly what God does. So number two, 
Next slide, when we work with God, make God your refuge. Number two, remember the character of God. Meditate on the name of Yahuwah. I am who I am. God can be what he needs to be to help us in whatever situation we are facing in our life. What else uh, does Moses do? Exodus 6, uh, verse 4, what does God say to Moses? And I also establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings in which they have sojourned. So not only does God remind Moses about his name, about his character, right? That he's dependable and trustworthy. Not only that, he also tells Moses, I also establish my covenant. What, how important is the covenant of God? Because of that covenant, God made a vow, a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's telling Moses, I am bounding myself to this covenant. And so when we work with God, we should rely on the promises of God. This is from the book of Hebrews 6, 13 down to 15. When God made his promise to Abraham, he made a vow to do what he had promised. Since there was no other, no one greater than himself, he used his own name when he made his vow. He said, I promise you that I will bless you and give you many descendants. Abraham was patient, and so he received what God had promised. And so when we face opposition, when we go through difficult times, we should rely on the promise of God. Why? Because God never breaks a promise. Because of his great name's sake. And so who is a good example of one who held on to the promise of God? Romans 4, 19 and 21. He was then almost 100 years old, but his faith had not weakened when he thought of his body which was already practically dead, or of the fact that Sarah could not have children. His faith did not leave him, and he did not doubt God's promise. His faith filled, with, filled him with power, and he gave praise to God. He was absolutely sure that God would be able to do what he had promised. We should be like that. When we go through difficult times, when we are being opposed because we do the work of God, hold on to the promise of the Father, because God always fulfills His promise. Next slide, please. So when we are working with God, number one, make God our refuge. Remember the character of God. He is Yahuwah, and hold on to God's promises. What else must we understand when we work with God? Exodus 6, 5 down to 7. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Yisharal. On a pause for a while. Who's speaking there? The one who heard the groaning of the children of Yisharal. Who's that? God, Yahuwah, right? Whom Mitzrim are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the children of Yisharal, I am Yahuwah, and I shall bring you out from under the burdens of the Mitzrim. And shall deliver you from their enslaving, and shall redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great judgments, and shall take you as my people, and I shall be your Allahim. And you shall know that I am Yahuwah your Allahim, who is bringing you out from under the burdens of the Mitzrim. And I shall bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, to Yitzhak, and to Yakub, to give it to you as an, inher as an inheritance. I am Yahuwah. And so he is comforting and affirming that he will fulfill his covenant because he said to Moses, 
I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel. And because he heard the groaning, he remembered his covenant. Do you know what that tells us about Yahuwah, our God? What does that tell us about God? He keeps his promises. Not only that, huh? he cares. He cares about his people. This is why in the book of 1 Peter 5, 7, this is what he instructs us to do. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. We're working together with God. He knows all of your problems. He knows all of your cares, all of your worries. Go to him and give him all of your worries and cares. Next slide. So when we work with God, make him your refuge. Remember his character, Yahuwah. Hold on to God's promises. And always remember, in times of suffering, do not think you're by yourself. He knows. Not only does he know, he cares. And so he will act because he will remember his covenant. What else? Exodus chapter 6 and the verses 9. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to him because their spirit had been broken by their cruel slavery. Can't really blame the people of Israel, right? They're going through a tremendous amount of suffering. But what happened to their spirit? Broken. Do you know what that means? When your spirit is broken, it means you're not your real self anymore. You're given up, right? You're desperate. You're in deep sorrow. You're in deep sadness. And so you have given up already. And sometimes God permits us to go through sufferings, right? This is what we've studied in the book of Genesis. How the people of God are not spared from suffering. Why? Because suffering does something for our character, right? And God uses suffering. He doesn't take it away. He uses. He redeems us by means of the suffering he permits us to go through. Why? The book of 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. And the small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. And so if you are on the brink of giving up, Apostle Paul, he advises us not to focus your thoughts, not to focus your hopes here on earth, but go beyond. Think of the things that are unseen, the promises of God, the promised kingdom, the promised holy city. That we cannot yet see. Everlasting life. Put your focus there. Because that is what will last forever. And so we should always remember. God uses suffering. He doesn't take it away. And when he uses suffering, what does he intend to do with that suffering? Like 1 Peter 5.10. But after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ, he himself will perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. This is why God permits his people to go through suffering. This is why God did not do his miracle right away. He wants the people of Israel to realize they cannot do this without him. Because when there's no suffering, we tend to see and feel and believe that we're good enough by ourselves. That we can do it by ourselves, right? But when we go through something that we cannot do on our own, 
then we begin to depend on our Almighty God. And so suffering has a way to do that. It points us away from self to our Almighty God. So God uses suffering to teach us, do not trust in self. Trust in what God can do. At this point, the people of Israel, having been broken, they're listening now. And so God can show them that He is Yahuwah, Almighty God of His people. Next slide, please. So when we're working with God, you know, make God your refuge. Remember who He is, His name. He can be who He needs to be. Hold on to His promises because He will fulfill them. And He cares. He knows what you're going through. But always keep in mind, He will not take away the suffering. He will use the suffering to strengthen us and make us into the type of people He wants us to become. What else? Let's go to Exodus 6, 10 down to 13. And Yahuwah spoke to Musha saying, Go in, speak to Pharaoh, king of Mitzrim, to let the children of Yisharal go out of his land. And Musha spoke before Yahuwah saying, The children of Yisharal have not listened to me. And why would Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And Yahuwah spoke to Musha and to Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Yisharal and for Pharaoh king of Mitzrim, to bring the children of Yisrael out of the land of Mitzrim. And so, what does God tell Moses to do? Hey, go back and speak to Pharaoh, king of Mitzrim. Go back and tell the children of Israel that you have to leave. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him to bring the children of Yisrael out of the land of Egypt. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Moses just try to do that? Right? And then he goes to Yahuwah God, tells him what happened. He didn't do anything. <laughs> and what does God tell him? Go back. <laughs> what does that tell you about working with the Father? What does that tell you? What's the message there? God says, go back. <laughs> you know what that tells us? Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 13. So then, dear friends, as you always obeyed me when I was with you, it is even more important that you obey me now while I am away from you. Keep on working with fear and trembling to complete your salvation because God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. God is telling us when we do his work, it's actually a work that we did together with him. It's not him all by himself. It's not us by, our, by ourselves. It is a partnership, right? And so when God invites us to do his work, we need to let God work in us. And when God works in us, we're going to go through difficult times because he uses that. And so what must we always keep in mind when we work with God? The Bible says, keep on working. What does that mean? Don't give up. The people of God who do His work must never ever give up. Quitting must not be an option. We have to go, keep going, keep doing what God wants us to do. Don't give up. Why must we not give up? Because this is not our work. This is whose work? God. But when we go to God and ask for His help, what can He help us with? The Bible says He can make you willing and able to obey His own purpose. This is why when we do God's work, we have to go to Him and ask for His Spirit. Because when we have His Spirit, 
and we can be willing and able to obey his commands. Why must we never give up? Galatians 6, 9 to 10. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Haven't you noticed in the Bible stories, right, when God's people need help? Does God usually come early? <laughs> does he come early? No. He comes right, yeah, right in the nick of time. Remember Daniel? <laughs> right? I mean, when did God show up? When the enemies went to the king? When did God show up? When the lions were let loose, right? <laughs> we got to get used to that. Sometimes God waits until the last possible moment. Why? Because in the case of Daniel, if God did not, if he showed up early, then the people would never know about the power of who? God. Sometimes he keeps us waiting because he's setting up the opportunity for him to be glorified even more. And this is what's happening here in Egypt. He doesn't show his power right away. Why? So more power and glory can be revealed. And so what is God's message? Don't give up. <laughs> Why? Because if you don't give up, you will reap a harvest of blessing. You will see the result of God's work. So brethren, never, ever, ever give up, no matter what. Always go to our Almighty Father. Working with God, make God your refuge. Remember the character of God. Hold on to His promises. Always keep in mind God cares. And God will not remove suffering sometimes. He will use it so that we can get the glory later on. And don't ever, ever give up. And so after this, God does something you might think is not related. But in actuality, it does. God tells Moses to write the following down. Exodus 6.14. These are the heads of their father's houses. So Exodus chapter 6 concludes with the genealogy. Okay. What's a genealogy? It's a list of descendants, right? Because the people of Israel, they came from Jacob. Jacob came from Isaac. Isaac came from Abraham. And so God is telling Moses, this is the genealogy of my people, the people of Abraham. Okay, so he lists it one by one of particular note is what he says here in Exodus 6, 16 to 20. Levi had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, right? Kohath and Merari. They were the ancestors of the clans that bear their names. Levi lived 137 years. Gershon had two sons, Libni and Shimai, and they had many descendants. Kohath had four sons, Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. Merari had two sons, Mali and Mushi. <laughs> That's a nice name. <laughs> These are the clans of Levi with their descendants. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. And so here God is showing the people who are reading the Bible today, right? That Moses and Aaron, you can trace them all the way to Levi. Levi was the son of who? 
And so he's showing the connection. So Levi had three sons. One was Kohath. Kohath had four sons. One was Amram. Amram eventually became the father of who? Aaron and Moses. So what does that tell you about Moses and Aaron? They are from the tribe of Levi. Interesting. You know why that's interesting? Do you remember when Jacob was giving out his blessings for his sons? Let's go back a little bit in Genesis 49. What did he say to Simeon and Levi? Genesis 49, 5 to 7, Simeon and Levi are brothers. They use their weapons to commit violence. Remember when they killed all those people? I will not join in their secret talks, nor will I take part in their meetings, for they killed people in anger. And they crippled bulls for sport. A curse beyond their anger, because it is so fierce, and on their fury, because it is so cruel. I will scatter them throughout the land of Israel. I will disperse them among its people. So Levi was among those who were cursed, actually. Right? This is why they did not have their own land. They were dispersed. They were scattered. And so Levi produced eventually Moses and Aaron. And so we can say this is a pretty bad situation for Moses. Right? He came from this... <laughs> This uh, clan who was cursed by God, who was not going to have their own land. And yet, what does he say about Moses and Aaron, who came from Levi, but had been cursed before? In, in Genesis 49, 5-7. Let's read the book of Exodus 6, 26-29. This is Aharon and Musha, to whom Yahuwah said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Mitzrim, according to their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Mitzrim, to bring out the children of Israel from Mitzrim. This is Musha and Aharon. And it came to be on the Yom when Yahuwah spoke to Musha in the land of Mitzrim, that Yahuwah spoke to Musha saying, I am Yahuwah. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Mitzrim, all that I say to you. So out of all the tribes, because of God's sovereignty, he chooses from the tribe of Levi. Moses and Aaron, and he's telling us that out of all the tribes, despite the fact that Levi had that curse because of God's sovereignty and mercy, what did he do? He said, Moses and Aaron are the ones whom I have chosen to set the people of Israel free, right? You know, God has a way of doing that, right? Turning a bad situation and making good out of it. You know when the curse was the people of Israel, the, the tribe of Levi would have not their own possession? Because of God's mercy, you know what he said concerning Levi? I will be their possession. You see the mercy of God? Not only that, it also gave the opportunity for the Levites to be scattered in the different tribes. And so they were the teachers of the law. You see how God used a bad situation and caused it to work together for what? For good. And so God showed the genealogy to teach us that long ago, God had planned this all along. That's why he mentioned all those names. That's why he included the genealogy. 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, every name that was mentioned in the genealogy, God was in control. He knows everything. You see, there's something we have to understand when we work with God. Okay? What is that? Next slide. Number seven. 
God always has a plan. <laughs> Even when you think he doesn't have a plan, he has a plan. Sometimes the things that we're doing today, he planned long ago. Everything that has happened to us, every person we spoke to in the past, every event that has unfolded, God is carrying out his plan. You see, when you work with God, you're working with a plan. <laughs> you might not see that plan. This is why we just have to trust him. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And so what do we need to do? Just obey him. Trust him that he will carry out that plan. Why can we trust God? Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the, for, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Can you relate to this passage? This is what we saw in Genesis. This is what we'll see in Exodus. This is what we'll see in the whole Bible. And this is what we will see in our life, in your life. Every bad thing that's happened to you, God can cause that to work together for your good. According to his plan, according to his purpose. So always place your trust in God. No matter what the opposition may be, no matter how great the opposition may be, if God is with us, it doesn't matter. What matters is God's plan and God's work in our life. Okay? All right, that's our lesson for today. Uh, so let's go to our mailbox. Aha, well, let's go for, with the first one here. Aha, ang I am what I am in Hebrew ay hindi binawal isulat o sabihin. Plus, complete ang characters noon. Characters are complete. Hindi tulad ng tetragrammaton na for characters lang at lahat ay consonants. Plus, Iba yung pronunciation na ginagamit ng strong compared sa ibang Hebrew scholars. Maybe parang Bisaya and Tagalog. Sa, sa mga Tagaluson, ang pagpronounce ng Pedro ay Pedro. Pero sa Bisaya, ang pagsabi ng Pedro ay Pedro. Pero Pedro pa rin ang isinusulat. Okay. I still, what's the point here? I guess the point is we are making a big deal of, about the pronunciation. We're not making a big deal about the pronunciation. What we want is to know the name, how it is pronounced, right? But it doesn't mean that if you mispronounce it, you're going to be cursed. First of all, because he says here, I am what, um, I, am what, I, uh, what I'm, um, I am what I am in Hebrew. I hindi binawal isulat o sabihin. So the implication is that the name of the Father, bawal palang isulat o sabihin. No. What's the proof? na bawal, na hindi bawal yan sabihin at isulat. Nakasulat eh. It's written, right? How many times? Over 7,000 times. So if it was, it was wrong to pronounce it, then why was it written? If it was wrong to, to, to write it, then why was it written? And so this prohibition that it should not be written, it should not be spoken, that did not come from God. You know where it came from? You know who conceived of the idea, who's the originator of the practice of concealing the name of God? That is a Babylonian practice. This is why after the captivity, that's when the people of God started hiding the name of the Father. It is a practice of pagans. You can do the research on pagan practices in hiding the names of God. This is why they came up with theonyms. They have come up with different cults. 
and they try to hide the name of God and reveal it only to those who become higher and higher up in their, in, in their membership. And so that is a pagan practice. But God does not want his name hidden. He wants it proclaimed. That's why he had it written over 7,000 times. Now, you know, we just have to make sure that uh, we understand that as people of God, we should not be legalistic about the name. Did we ever tell you that if you don't use the name, you're not going to be saved? Did we tell you every time you pray, you got to use Yahuwah five times? Why? If you don't use it five times, you're not going to be heard. Did we ever say that? If you mispronounce the name Yahuwah, you're going to be cursed. Did we ever say that? No. You have to keep in mind, when we seek to know the name of God, next slide, please. Next slide again. In Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to, to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You know why God gave us the commands? First of all, it's to tell us what his will is. And when you look at the scriptures, the commands of God were given to us for man. It's for our benefit. For our benefit. When there's a law, a command, God gave it for our benefit, including the tithe, including the... Um, the Sabbaths, those are all for our benefit. And what is the purpose of these commands? It is so that we will be able to realize, I cannot possibly fulfill all these commands, so I must depend on the grace and mercy of our God. It is to lead us to have faith and to rely on the, mer the mercy of our Father. That's the purpose. And so we're not going to create rules if you mispronounce it, if you have a Visayan accent, you're not going to be saved. No, you missed the whole point. The whole point of why God wants his name to be known is because he wants a deeper relationship with him. So that we can love him more. Because when you know someone's name, what happens? You develop that relationship with who? Our Almighty Father. Okay, next slide, please. Oh boy, it's kind of blurry. Can you read that? If Apostle Paul had pronounced God's name during his ministry, should it not appear in the Bible today? Lord Jesus Christ did not pronounce the name of God, so with his disciples. Even in, in, in this last days, uh, we're calling on the name that God has intended not to be pronounced. His servants knew that there is a living God whom our Lord Jesus Christ called Father, the only true God. First of all, I, I mean, I want to challenge uh, everyone who's ever listening. Just one passage that says we're not supposed to use the name of the Father. Just one passage. Okay? That's all. Not to use the name of the Father. That's all I'm asking. One passage. Because I guarantee you're not going to find it. Because God has commanded all over the Bible, use His name. It was routinely used by the people of God. And so there's no prohibition against using the name of the Father. If Apostle Paul had pronounced God's name during his ministry, should it not appear in the Bible? Is it in the Bible today? Yeah. How many times? Yeah, more than 7,000 times. It's in the Bible. Well, did Apostle Paul actually mention the name? Yeah. Romans 10, 8 down to 13. Who, who wrote Romans 8, 10 to 13? Apostle Paul. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth 
and in your heart, that is the word of belief, which we're proclaiming, that if you admit with your mouth, Adonai, Yahusha, and believe in your heart that Yahuwah has raised him from the dead, you shall be delivered. For with the heart, one believes to obedience, and one professes with the mouth, and so is delivered. Because the scripture says, whoever puts his trust in him shall not be put ashamed, because there is no distinction between Yahudi and Greek. For the same Adonai of all is rich to all those calling upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be delivered. This is Apostle Paul. And he's quoting from the book of Joel. This is why we know he used the name Yahuwah. Because that's in the book of Joel. So he preached about the name of Yahuwah. He said everyone who calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be what? Delivered. So he preached the name. He used the name. Not only that, did he prohibit the using of the name? No. But he did give this warning about the using of the name. What is that? The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19. Who wrote the book of 2 Timothy? Also Paul. This is what he says. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Okay? And so, Apostle Paul is very specific here. So he knows about the name. And he knows that his brethren are using the name. And so what does he say? Everyone who names the name of the Lord, what must they do? Abstain from wickedness. You know why? Because if we don't abstain from wickedness and we name the name of the Lord, then we blaspheme his name. You see, to honor the name, two things. Remember? First, you have to mention the name. Number two, you have to do something good in association with that name. You have to have both. This is why when you mention the name, you name the name, Yahuwah, and at the same time, you go to a club. At the same time, you do wicked things. At the same time, you get drunk. What are you doing with that name? You're blaspheming that name. You see it? And so we need to abstain from wickedness. If we're naming the name, and on Facebook, a plethora of bad words come out of your mouth, then you are not honoring the name, right? And so we have to name the name and at the same time live a life pleasing to God so that we can represent the name properly. So Apostle Paul never said, do not use the name. If you name the name, abstain from wickedness. Okay, next slide. It says here, Lord Jesus Christ did not pronounce the name of God. That's not true. When he read the scroll of Isaiah, he pronounced the name of Yahuwah. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Look at Luke chapter 4. Okay, not only that, in Matthew 4, 4 down to 10, when he had that confrontation with the devil, several times he mentioned the name of Yahuwah. He said, Yahuwah, you shall worship Yahuwah your Elohim. In him alone you shall serve. And so he mentioned the name of Yahuwah in his confrontation against the devil. Did Yahushua, our Lord, did he also teach us to use the name of the Father? Yes. In Matthew 6, 9 to 13, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs we have done. As we forgive the wrongs the others have done to us, do not bring us to hard testing, but keep safe from the evil one. So what Lord Yahusha has given us here is a formula, an outline for how to develop a prayer. It has different parts, right? And so these different parts are all important. It should be part of the prayer. 
But when we pray this outline that the Lord Yahusha gave us, we don't say this verbatim, do we? Do we say when we pray, Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored, may your kingdom come. Is that how we pray? No. This is the formula, if you will. This is the outline so that we can develop our prayer. This is the guide so that we can pray on our own. And it has different parts. One part is calling him Father. What else? One part is making his name honorable. And so when it says, use the, so Lord Yahushua is telling us to use the name of our God, to honor, to hallow, or make, make honor, honorable the name of Yahuwah. You know, when it says here, make your holy name be honored, that's the formula. But in practice, you actually mention the name of Yahuwah. What's the proof? Something similar to that. This is what Yahushua said in Mark 16, uh, 15 to 18. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new tongues. And so Lord Yahushua said that they will use my name to cast out demons. That's the formula. Use my name, okay? This is also mentioned in Luke 10, 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when, you use your, when we use your name. That's the formula. Use the name. So when the apostles, when the disciples went out casting out demons, did they say, in the name of the Son? Is that what they said? In practice, what did they say? In Acts 16, 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon with her, I command you in the name of Yahusha HaMashiach to come out of her. And instantly it left her. And so the command was use the name. When it was being fulfilled in practice, it used the actual name. It didn't say the name of the son, but the actual name. You see the difference between the outline and the practice? And so when Yahushua said, when in your prayers, pray to, to the Father and honor his name, when it's our turn to pray, when we're putting it to practice, in practice, we actually mention what? The name. Do you get it? The name of the Father. Because Yahushua said, honor the name. How can you honor the name if you don't even use the name of the Father? Okay? Uh, one more question. Uh, kung sakali naman pong yung newest addition to the family of Yahuwah, Yahusha worshippers lang po ang maliligtas as part of the remnant that God calls. Edi magmumuka po yatang unfair si God Yahuwah niyan kung hindi masasakop ng salvation yung original na nakaisip ng Yahuwah, Yahusha names. The first ones to be enlightened at lahat ng disciples and followers niya through the years. So the person asking the question is, well, if, the, uh, if it's true that in order to be saved, you have to, you have to know the name, right? Because kung sakali man po yung newest addition to the family of Yahuwah, Yahusha worshippers lang po ang maliligtas as part of the remnant of God's call, uh, that God calls, 
paano yung mga original na nakadiscover noon? Because I'm not the first one to know the name Yahuwah, right? This has been around for centuries. Not just 2013, <laughs> not just the 2000s, not just the 1980s, even before your grandparents were born, even during the Middle Ages, people already know about the name of Yahuwah. And so when we say, we proclaim, or we call on the name of Yahuwah, we're not saying we're the only ones who are going to be saved. Did we ever say that? That for you to be saved, you have to use the name of Yahuwah. Did we ever say that? We never said that, right? We never said for one to be saved, you have to use the name of Yahuwah. Why? Because when it comes to salvation, whose work is that? That's God. Who gets to decide who will be saved and who will not be saved? Is it us? No. Are we saying that... Only those who belong to our group and are registered in our group are the only ones who are going to be saved? No. Only God determines who are going to be saved. This is why in Romans 9, 14 and 15, shall we say then that God is unjust? Not at all. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on anyone I wish. I will take pity on anyone I wish. Remember, God's salvation is, a, is an act of mercy. It's not an act of justice because none of us are going to be saved by justice because all, all of us deserve to, be, to perish in, in the lake of fire, right? And so everyone who's going to be saved, it's, they're going to be saved because of the mercy of our almighty God. Who gets to decide? God decides. Well, how does God save those whom he decides to save? He will add them to the body of Christ. Why? Because for us to be saved, the Savior who died... Well, he has to answer for our salvation. And so if God decides you, you are going to be saved, God is going to add you to the body of Yahusha. Right? And so who gets to add people to the body of Yahusha? God does. This is God's work. What is our work? What are we responsible for? What has been revealed to us? What's been revealed to us? We got to preach. And those who, who are who are believers, we baptize them. When they are baptized, God adds them to the body of Yahusha, right? And say, this is what we need to do to be saved. Isn't that what we do? However, it doesn't mean if someone did not go through that process, they're not going to be saved anymore. No, God can still save people whom he wants to save. If he, for example, decides to save a person who's never gone through the process of indoctrination, can God do that? Yes. What will he do? He will add him. To the body of Yahusha. Like who? For example, in Revelation 14, verse 8, and another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Who is that angel? Martin Luther King Jr.? No, not Martin Luther King Jr. Who is that? Martin Luther, the fulfillment of this angel. Is he going to be saved? He's an angel. He was used by God to preach the gospel. Right? Will he be saved? See, that's not up to us. Can God save him? Yes. How? By adding him to the body of Yahusha. Those who discover the names of Yahuwah and Yahusha and call on the names of Yahuwah and Yahusha, will they be saved? I don't know. Why? Because I'm not God. Who knows that? Only God does. And so we leave what belongs to God to God. What belongs to us, we are responsible for. Right? What is that? To preach. 
the gospel, to preach the name, to preach so that people can receive baptism and to be saved. But what we are not responsible for, leave that in the hands of our Father. Do you know why we want to know the name of the Father? Do you know why we want to preach the name of the Father? Is it because, just because we want to be saved? This is what it says here. In the book of Matthew 22, 37, 38, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. Why do we want to know the name of the Father and use the name of God? Because we want to express our love for who? The Father. Is this a command of Yahusha? Yeah. Not only is it a command, it's what? It's the most important command. To love Him. How many here? How many here are doing what they're doing only to be saved? Because there are some who only engage in Bible study, worship, because they want to be saved. With us, we're doing this because we love who? God. Remember the three Hebrews? The three Hebrews, Babylon. They were told to kneel down before a golden idol. If not, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember what they said? We will not bow down to that statue. Even if you throw us into the furnace, God will save us. But even if he does not, we will not bow down to that statue. It's unfortunate. There are many people today who worship God, who study the word of God only because they want to be saved. Right? You know, when we want to know the name of the Father, we're not telling you that it's necessary for you to be saved. We've never said that. Why are we studying the name of the Father? Why are we using the name of the Father? Because we want to express our love for God. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is why we're studying Bible history. Why? We want to know more about the one we love. You know, if you love someone, don't you want to know everything about him? Right? You want to know every single thing about the one that you love. We love our God. This is why we want to know everything we can about him, his character, what he likes, what he does not like. We want to know that. And it's given to us in the book. That's why we study it. Because there are those who will only do things if they will be saved. Then you're missing the whole point. The greatest blessing of what we're doing is not salvation. It is our relationship with the Father. That you love Him. Regardless of salvation. You know, when you are able to go to that point. When you do things for God. Not because, will I be saved? Why not? If I, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be saved. If you go past that point. We're perfecting our love. We're perfecting our faith. That's what we need to do. To love God. Not because we want to be saved. But because we want to express our love for Him. Love God with all of your mind. How can we love God with all of our mind? Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Thus said Yahuwah, let 
not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty boast in his might, nor let the rich boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahuwah doing kindness, lawfulness, and obedience in the arets. For in these I delight, says Yahuwah. How can we love God with all of our mind? By doing everything we can to know Him. You see, God wants to be known. <laughs> this is why He said, if you want to boast, don't boast about your riches, about your wealth, about your power, about your strength, your wisdom. No, boast that you know me. God says, I want to be known. That you understand and know me. That I am Yahuwah. This is the purpose of our studies, to get to know Him. To know Him. Who created us and loved us. Don't you want to know him? He wants us to know him. Not only that. What else does he want us to know about him? Let's read one more passage before we pray. Isaiah 52, 6. But I will reveal my name to my people. And they will come to know its power. And at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. If somebody doesn't want to know the name of the father, they will never know it. But if someone who really wants to know the name of the Father prays and asks for it, I believe God will reveal it. Why? That's what he said. I will reveal my name to my people. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to know his name. Why? Because he wants us to know him. Not as some abstract power in the universe or the creator of all things. No, he wants us to know him in a personal way. That's why he wants us to know his name, Yahuwah God. Brethren, we are proclaiming the name because we want to love our Father, our God, with all of our mind, our heart, and our soul. And so those who do not understand that, it makes sense that they will hate that because they do not understand the purpose. It's about love. It's about loving the Father, loving God. When you love someone, you want to know everything about him, including his name, which he never hid. It's all in the Bible for all to see. Brethren, we do this because we want to love our Father and our God. That is our lesson, brethren. Let's all stand and we shall pray. Everlasting Father, yes. thank you for revealing to us your name. Indeed, many have come to know your name. Yes. It's very precious to us yes. because it indicates that you want to be known. Yes. And to know you, Father, yes. Almighty Yahuwah, Amen. is the greatest work that we can ever do. Yes. Father, help us through your spirit yes. to know you in a deeper and deeper way. Yes. When, you, when we study your holy book, yes. when we look at how you dealt with your people of old, yes. we gain insight concerning the various aspects of your character. Yes. We are moved by your compassion, yes. your mercy and love. You are patient with your people. Yes. This gives us hope. Because when we look at our life, yes. Father, we have many shortcomings. Yes. But you have dealt with your people before yes. with so much patience. Yes. 
And so we are inspired that you love us yes. despite our faults. Yes. This makes us want to know you more. Yes. Father, when we seek you, when we establish a relationship with you, yes. calling you our Father, yes. calling you by your name, yes. because we want and desire so much your friendship, yes. permit us to do that, Father. Yes. Even if there is great persecution, yes. we will love you, O oh God, yes. with all of our hearts, souls, and mind. Amen. Help us to endure. Help us to do your work sharing our faith, sharing our knowledge yes. that you have bestowed upon all of us. Amen. Lord Yahusha, yes. we will honor your name, yes. the name of our Father. Yes. Help us to do your will. Yes. Stand with us in this work when there is persecution and opposition. Yes. May you be in our midst yes. to comfort and strengthen us. Yes that we will go on in this journey. Father, we don't know when you will end the world. There are many who look to you for salvation. Remember us all, O oh God. The truth is none of us deserve your salvation. Who are we to proclaim who will be saved and who will not? The one thing we know is this. You are merciful. You are compassionate. Remember each one here, including the people we love, even those who have fallen along the road. Remember them as well. Bless all of us, O oh God. But on that day when you will save your people, all of us will be included. Amen. Please forgive all our sins. Make us worthy to be before you now. Amen. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen.